We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. That is a clip from the documentary, Last Comiskey, which is on YouTube. Episode one has just been released. I watched it yesterday. Uh, Episode two will come out this Thursday. And then episode three, I believe the Thursday after that. This is a really good feeling that is available for White Sox fans. If you're one of those White Sox fans who uh, needs a good feeling, this is one that's available for you. Because I'll tell you what I realized is that the ballpark, when we talk White Sox, we do not associate the ballpark with venerable history and baseball lore, decades of baseball lore. We do that with Wrigley, of course, because Wrigley's still here. But we don't really do it for the White Sox because this place, the new one, U.S. Cellular, guaranteed rate it is now, uh, does not have the same gravitas and doesn't have the legends and the echoes walking through it. It does for some, obviously, and there's great moments, but my God, the, the history and the importance of Comiskey Park is finally documented in this documentary, and it fills a big, gaping need in terms of the baseball history of this town. I think this documentary is a lot better than it had to be, a lot better than I expected it to be. And it's it's really, really cool um, to look at that. And it's a fun, fun watch. And a big part of it is Nancy Faust. A big part of uh, episode one is Nancy Faust, the longtime organist, for the Chicago White Sox. She played for 41 seasons as the organist for the White Sox. And she's going to join us in a matter of moments right here on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Nancy, thank you so much for the time. 
Welcome to the show. How are you this morning? Well, I'm a little unnerved talking with you, but I appreciate your interest, and I'm happy to be able to talk about Matt and Mike Flesh. And yeah. so thanks so much for that. And I just enjoyed talking a little bit with uh, Ruben as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I understand he's a budding musician. Uh, our, our associate producer is indeed a young piano player. Um, and it, it, I think any time he gets to talk to a musician like yourself, it is outstanding. Yes, Matt and Mike Flesh put this documentary together, and it's really fabulous. I was just talking about it. But, uh, you know, Nancy, you are a legend. Um, I'm very friendly <laughs> with Josh Cantor, the organist of the Boston Red Sox, and was texting with him yesterday about about you and just, you know, he considers you uh, an absolute legend and, you know, one of the, one of the foremost practitioners of, of the form. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's an honor to have you on, for sure. Well, thank you so much. And what a wonderful guy Josh is and what a human music encyclopedia that he is as well and his wife too just great humans and i'm so happy that he landed the job that he did i know he loves baseball and he certainly can pull out any kind of music out of his head and uh, he's doing musicians and baseball fans proud yeah. here in boston yeah he, he sure is taking requests all throughout the game on twitter and playing some of the weirdest most obscure and most excellent songs every single game but that really it, it is all owed to you i want to play this clip um from the documentary which i think details something that most baseball fans take for granted most sports fans take for granted but i i, I think you're the start of it this is uh from the documentary first voice you hear is cheryl ray stout she was a celebrity, and she never felt like she was a celebrity, even though she was. You know, she always was grounded. Nancy's playing to the player, the situation, you know, the times. Those are unique that you don't have now. The walk-up songs was something I always enjoyed at the old yard. I think my favorite was when Dave Winfield came up. Uh, the Yankees were in town, and he had just signed his big contract. And Nancy played, we're in the money, we're in the money. How appropriate was that? God, I miss that so much. Just the, the organ and, you know, the, the when she did the Harold, Harold. By the way, Dick Al was her favorite player. And when he came up to bat, she would play Jesus Christ Superstar, which is exactly what he was, a superstar. So, so, Nancy, is that true that Jesus Christ Superstar for Dick Allen as your favorite player, that that was like the first time you played a thematic walk-up song for somebody? Well, uh, it might have been one of the first, but it was certainly the first time that it was noticed nationally because, I mean, uh, he was such a superstar. And I know Sports Illustrated and uh, they even said, oh, even the organist, even he has a personal song, he's, he's a superstar. And they made a deal out of the fact that he had music to introduce him to the plate. And I think that was, uh, that received the most attention. And I guess you'd say that started it all, but we didn't call it walk-up music. In those days, I was just um, amusing myself and the, some of the fans that gave me suggestions with songs that were appropriate for uh, whoever came, whoever the player was. And it might've been um, like something because of the number on his back or Maybe his name rhymed with something else that was a keyword in a song. 
or maybe his name was also the same name that somebody had in a series on television or I mean there was just or maybe it was an ethnic name but there was just always um, something to accompany a player and I really was in my wheelhouse because I played by ear so if somebody could just give me the idea if I didn't think of it myself then I could pull you know pull it off by just playing so I it was a cast of um, hundreds that surrounded the organ that um, made my job so easy. And it was fulfilling because feedback from the fans was always positive. I just always felt like I was at a party. And um, I, this whole thing took off later with canned music where the ballplayers were able to request their own song. It wasn't by, the, by myself or by people in the stands. And once that took off, then it was assigned a name. They called it walk-up music. But it's just, it is really what I did. And I was able, it was, I was good at it because, like I say, I didn't have to refer to music. And I was fortunate to be located um, in the stands, surrounded by fans, knowledgeable fans. Mm-hmm. So I, I really had a whole village you yeah, know, that, helping that, me. That, that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's improv. You're riffing. You're playing. You're just, you, you, knew, you knew a bunch of tunes, and like, you were just having some fun and, and amusing yourself. That's how good art happens. That, that's how that's how innovation happens. I, I love it. I'm looking at, at some of the list, whether it's, you know, Wilbur Wood and you're playing Norwegian Wood, you know, or whether it's Ed, <laughs> Ed Herman and you're playing Mr. Ed or the Munsters theme for Herman. And it takes people a minute to think about it or and, and you loved soul and, and some of the other stuff that was yeah. going on. So Steve Stone's there and you're playing Papa Was a Rolling Stone by the oh, Temptations. Oh, really good. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it, it's it's so it's so intuitive and sensible. And it's like, of, of course, it's the way it should be. It's that's how any art should be, right? Well, Matt, and in those days, there was a lot of dead time, you know. So there was time for me to fill up with some sounds. So it was just, I was in my wheelhouse at the right time of my life and uh, the right time of baseball to allow the luxury of um, more than just uh, name this song in three notes, uh, which I mean, it's going to be now. Well, you know, <laughs> did you ever? I mean, you're a very sweet person, it seems, Nancy. And from mutual people that, that, that we know, I've heard you're a very sweet person. But did you ever feel like you were doing a dig on somebody? I ask because I, I always think of um, when Wade Boggs, the former Red Sox player, uh, was having a, an affair that, unfortunately for him, became very public with a woman named Margot Adams. The organist in California played the Adams Family as Wade Boggs oh. was approaching the plate, and I remember thinking, oh, that's mean, man. That's harsh. I, I, I can't um, imagine you ever did anything like that, Nancy. Well, I probably would do something like that. I think I did when somebody was dating Madonna. Um, oh, Canseco. Yeah. Canseco dating Madonna. There you go. But I, I think the players were tuned out, and you didn't have social media picking apart everything that could offend. Yeah. Uh, so, it, And I don't think my boss was listening much. I mean, I, I had a free reign to do what I wanted without any criticism or, you know, second opinions, it seemed. Uh, and, um, and I just played what fans wanted to hear, perhaps that was bad judgment. But like I say, at the time, um, things weren't offensive. And it was just fun. Yeah. And I felt I was there for the amusement and fun of the fans. And I don't think the players paid much attention until finally the, the management would say, well, what's your favorite song? And so then it became uh, another aspect for the players to think about. Right, um, and, right. And, and, and they have that, and, and I respect that they have that. But 
I think I think a true a true artist having some fun and improvising musically to your skill level is is better. I I, I, I oh, do. Thank you. Yeah, my God. <laughs> um, and, and, and I just I just think I just think it's better. Um, for those who don't know, Nancy Faust, the longtime organist for the White Sox. Um, your mom was a piano player and musician and was part of the old barn dances on WLS in the 40s and 50s. That's fascinating to me because that, that, that's serious Chicago uh, musical and radio royalty. Well, thank you. But only music historians are probably now aware of the WS barn dance. And they were just stories that I heard because my mother played daily on that uh, before I was born. So I just know she was part of this daily radio thing. And then on weekends, uh, I mean, I guess the whole Midwest tuned into the WS Barn Dance. Yep. They, I just know a couple of the people who be, who were well-known was like um, Pat Buttram and Ray Foley and Jenny Lou Carson. Those were some names that went on to big stardom after that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, So I know that on weekends, they entertained, the, so the whole radio crew would entertain on Saturday night at the 8th Street Theater in Chicago and get a big following. People came in all from all over the Midwest to see these people and just rather than hearing them on the radio. But my mother was an, as an, was an accomplished mu- musician who... Um, Read who could read any kind of musical manuscript and accompany anybody and transpose on the spot. I didn't inherit that ability, but I did inherit her ear. So when I was about five and my folks bought an organ, I was able to uh, capture my fancy and I was able to pick up simple tunes that I had heard. And it was more my father that encouraged, that was so excited that he'd say, oh, you keep practicing and playing, you know. And then he would take me for a horseback riding lesson or something. <laughs> so he encouraged me to go. And my mother wasn't really, she wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make my daughter a musician or something like that. But she was always there to help me. And my tone deaf dad was there to encourage me. So it was um, it was great. Mother, it was just great. I never thought I'd end up doing what I did because um, we weren't sports minded in our family. Um, my mother always worked and my dad worked and we just, we didn't. Our only vacations were in the form of county fairs in the summer where um, um, on the midway there'd be featured acts that, and my mother would accompany them. So we'd go to these county fairs and that would be our vacation. Yeah, we didn't have, um, sports just wasn't in our blood and in our DNA, like I realize it is with uh, many fans that I've met. I mean, they're, they're like generations old. Yeah, uh, you know it, it's, and we're hearing from some of them on our text line. Uh, Nancy Faust, uh, people with just incredibly fond memories. Uh, here's one: uh, a texter. We would hang by Nancy frequently. She was always so welcoming and sweet to all of us drunks, <laughs> and, and even did a couple of our requests. We have several photos from back then. Yeah, I mean, so where were you? Paint the picture. I know you were in the bleachers for a lot of the time. Like you probably had a couple different organ perches. Um, what was? I did. Where, where were you usually in the ballpark? Um, well, the first organist was hired by Bill Veck in 1960, and he did something um, unusual. He placed the organist outside rather than in a booth hidden away. And so the perch was at center field, in, way in the center field bleachers in this box that later became, a, uh, I think, a photo something for television cameras. But that's where the organist was. So he was always outside. So when I came along after the organist went to Shea Torrent, 
went to California and played for the Angels for many years. But after him, and then when I was there, I took that place in Centerfield Bleachers. I also that was 1970. There were hardly there was hardly anybody out there, and hardly anybody in the whole stadium for that matter. I think they had lowest attendance on record mm-hmm. at that park. Uh, so it was a great year for me to break in. But my, the second year out there was the year Harry came along, and he start and he heard what I was playing, and sometimes I'd listen to the radio and play something that reflected what he had said, and he liked that, and he's going, oh, why don't you bring her in where people can see who this person is? So then my third year there, um, Stu Holcomb brought me in right behind home plate in the upper deck. I had a wonderful seat, a wonderful spot for the organ, although 10 box seats had to be removed in order to accommodate me. Wow. So so I was there until um, Bill Veck owned the team, and when he realized that the organ was occupying 10 box seats, <laughs> I showed up, what, I think that was 1976, and the organ had been placed way in a corner someplace. And I thought, oh, you know, it was... I was a little devastated, and but at the same time, the people that used to sit around the organ when I was behind home plate circulated a petition that said, put Nancy back down with the people, and lo and behold, that second home stand, Bill had the organ put back down, on, down a little bit down the third baseline in the upper deck, and it was a great spot. Oh, that, so that, that is phenomenal. Power to the people. For writing, Absolutely. writing the wrong of displacing Nancy Faust. How dare you? I was a little I, well, I was upset with this Mr. Vet guy, but I thought then after he moved, I thought, well, he really does pay attention. He he was a fan's man. So yeah. kudos to Bill. Uh, yeah. That that's that's so cool. And yeah, so that seventies decade, obviously Dick Allen is there and some other really good players, and the team starts to get good, and Harry Carey is there and um I've often read about the attendance bonuses that Harry had in his contract, and he made more in attendance bonuses than he did as a base salary for uh, several years. Absolutely. And, boy, you know, Matt, I really did benefit from that because he he touted every aspect of the game, including the organist. Mm. You know, but he just made you want to come out and experience it uh, in living color right there at the park. So he did really help to draw crowds mm-hmm. as well as uh, coming out to feed Dick Allen and I remember that bat day when they um, broke all kind of attendance records with like 52,000 people and they handed out these big bats, which I'm sure they would no longer do something like that. Yeah. But um, those were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah pretty, pretty darn good. Um, so, so with Harry out there, we already know that, that you um, deserve so much um, credit for thematic walk-up songs and really just thematic <laughs> organ play in sports. Uh, how does take me out to the ball game begin for Harry Carey and you um, and, and the bleachers? How does that happen? How much of that is your idea? How much of that is his idea? Well, I, um, from the time I was hired, that was one of the things I was to do was to play take me out to the ball game and people joined in. It, it was um, all encompassing, but it was Harry that then started putting a light on in his booth and waving his arms around during. And so then the attention went up to Harry's booth. And people thought they're singing along with Harry, and he st- he's kind of stole his. I mean, he was a feature of the. He didn't steal the show. He was a feature of the seventh inning stretch, and that's um, also Bill must have had the idea. Of why not give the guy a microphone and make this even a bigger feature, which he did, and Harry agreed agreed to it. 
And so um, it just became a highlight of the game. And if the team was losing or if you didn't want to stick around, you made sure you at least stayed to see Harry, uh, Harry perform and sing along with Harry. And then after he'd do that, then he oftentimes he kind of nod to me and a signal, and I knew he was going to dance. So he'd dance along to like um, uh, Jailhouse Rock, or he loved no, cheer for old Notre Dame. He was a big Notre Dame fan. So um, it just became a whole shtick. Um, but it, and when he went over to the north side, I think it became more national and even a parody on Saturday Night Live. So It's everywhere. N- Nancy, it's yeah. everywhere. I, I mean, th- <laughs> think about it. Like that thing that kind of that, that got birthed out of the two of you is is iconic for baseball now, really, across oh. across the country. And everybody everybody wants wants to be Harry. Um, and, and, yeah. and and that is that is for sure. So um, what what can you tell our listeners about how games felt? At, at Old Comiskey, uh, because as I was saying before we brought you on, it's like, I, I mean, I've, I've been in town for 30 baseball seasons, but I was never in Old Comiskey, and I, and, and I, wish, I wish that I had been. How, how did it feel there? I think it felt like a close-knit family. I, I just everybody loved everybody, and I think I brought the generations together, everybody on the same page, everybody out there to have a good time. And it was just a grand party. Uh, that's how I could describe it. Um, I remember once I once I pulled up and I got out of my car, I'd say, "Phew, I've made it here now. I'm just going to have a good time." And um, it was just a good time for everybody. And especially as we look back, if you didn't realize it then, you certainly realize it now because um, things kind of, you know, in a rearview mirror, stand out a little more clearly. And um, it's so nice that people are still around that can remember those days. Um, and uh, it's a place where families made wonderful bonds and their friendships. I, I know the people that sat around the organ are people um, that I still stay in touch with. Um, I think we all made great friends wow. at, at a ball game. It's a unifying factor. Yeah, and sure I, I, as far as the music, I think that when you think back, it's your senses sometimes that take you back to a place. It might be a certain smell or um, a voice or just a style of music, and um, maybe that's what I had to offer. But I didn't realize at the time, but I think once I went on Twitter during COVID and I had so much feedback about, oh, you know, then I realized this really was important to people just to hear the same thing that they heard as they were when they were young, or maybe they were young with their parents. The parents are no longer here, but just to see um, the last Comiskey, it kind of, puts it all real clear for you and helps you remember what you don't want to forget. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful. And, and I can tell you from, you know, my, my, my experience as, as well as yours, like music is time travel, right? I mean, you, you, you're taking people, it just immediately will bring people back to when they heard something and what they felt. And um, Absolutely. And, and, and that arrangement and that particular voice. Yes. I mean, I know my arrangements are different than Josh's and different than anybody other organist. We all have our own kind of style. And um, so, you know, people were, I had a captive audience that heard a lot of that because there was nothing else going on. In fact, when I was brought in behind home plate, I was then able to see the scoreboard and all the messages, mm. and there was always great songs that would go along with messages. And there was time to put it, you know, to put it over because 
there was no, I was the only sound. I was the soundtrack for a while there. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. It, it was were. a beautiful marriage. Um, beautiful uh, thing. <laughs> all right, and so a couple quick things for you, Nancy Faust. One is, why isn't there a night one time a year where you are, you and the organ or you and an organ are at Guaranteed Rate Field and it's a throwback night to, why, why is that not something that happens? I, I would attend that and, and talk about it like crazy. <laughs> Oh, that's a wonderful question, man. <laughs> um, I'll ask you that, or I'll ask, um, well, per, I actually, I reached out to the White Sox a couple of years back because I thought it would be a great marriage. They no longer have an organist, and I do know that they're a throwback game. So I have let them know I'm available if they decide to add some music that's authentic that's a, from, the, yeah. from the dates that they're celebrating. There you I go. I certainly would love to hear it. All right, that's um, that's a no-brainer. I'll call Brooks Boyer immediately. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then, uh, and then, last thing for you, I do this with some of the guests, and I was curious if you if it related uh, for you. Your your baseball bona fides, Nancy Faust. Um, tell me one player. I guess it would be Dick Allen, probably, but one of your most favorite players in the game, past or present, and why? Well, I can remember one play, and I remember bringing guests to a game, and I was so proud that they were at that game because. Um, uh, Bo Jackson had recently had surgery, you know, yes. so you didn't expect much. But I remember him hitting this ball, and we're going, oh, it's a pop-up. Well, no, it was a home run. I just, it was fabulous. I don't know if anybody else oh. listening saw that. And I don't know who we were playing because I don't have a mind like that. I just remember this fabulous hit that I was sure was a pop-up. Oh. That's how powerful he was. And then I guess being there for um, um, Mark Burley's no-hitter was a standout. And the, somebody just reminded me at breakfast today that the games w- will be very much like Mark Burley's games. Absolutely. Move, move quickly with the, that, with the clock. That, that's the idea. They want to turn everybody into Mark Burley. Um, I got chills when you're talking about Bo. That man hit a home run with an artificial hip in Major League Baseball. Unbelievable. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, it, it's that, a, that'd be a, a word of encouragement for all you folks out there with <laughs> knees and hips. <laughs> and, and those Including of us. my husband. And there you go. And those of us who will need it in the future. Um, there you go. The best, game you, the best game you ever had a chance to see in person. I mean, that, that's hard. I mean, 41 well, that, years. Well, of course, uh, the second game of the World Series. Oh. Okay. Uh, we all, we can't stop talking about that. Oh, yeah, you so know, that let was, me interrupt for a second, Nancy. I. I think very often about after that game, I, I, as I was there in the press box, nobody left because they knew they were going to go to Houston and win it. You remember how the fans didn't leave and you just kept playing song after song after song and everybody everybody was singing along in the stands oh, the that whole time. Was it. Yeah, that was it for us, as far as seeing yeah, the, the winners at our park. Wow. But, um, yeah, I guess that would be a, the stand, a standout game. Yep. And then is there anything you would change if you were commissioner of Major League Baseball? I don't, you know, I don't know about the ins and outs. I don't know what goes on, but I just do know that I, I would encourage them to make sure that normal fans can enjoy games with their whole family so they can keep their love of baseball going on for the next generation. Just make it um, affordable and pleasurable for everybody, everybody. That's great. That's great stuff. Nancy, what a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for the time. Thank you for Thank you, and I'm just so excited for Matt and Mark, and they did just such a beautiful job with their last Comiskey. And and, and even the, if you've never been to a ballpark, you're going to enjoy this if you're a historian. or it'll, It's there forever and cemented in our brains, and it's a story that needed to be told, and I'm just delighted to be part of it. And thank you for your interest, Matt. Uh, you got it, Nancy. What a pleasure. And here's steam, of course, uh, on, on, our, <laughs> on our way out. Thank you, Nancy. Have a great day. 
Thank you so much. You got it. That's Nancy Faust. She brought this to the ballpark as they said goodbye to pitchers who were taken out. Boy, that was fun. 670, the score is where you are. Matt Spiegel is who you're with on Hit and Run. A couple of my favorite ballplayers from the last 30 years. We'll bring you that before we get out of here at noon on 670, the score. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on the score. You know, in this team, it's it's a very nice mix of even the younger guys. They know they need to prove, you know, they're worth and then, you know, they're here for a reason. And, you know, being a prospect and all that is cool, but it gets to a point where, like, okay, I got to, you know, I got to put out some numbers out there, you know, if I want to keep playing. So I love it. That's what I feel like. I don't think it's going to be the hard. I think it's going to be we just, you know, prepare and concentrate and compete and be the best throughout the whole season, knowing that we're going to have ups and downs. That's normal, but as long as, you know, you give everything you got, there's too much talent in here to not win. That's Elvis Andrus talking about the White Sox and his career, really, and where he is right now, second baseman for the White Sox. My God, that was fun um, to talk to Nancy Faust and great text coming in. Uh, One person, I literally thought Steam wrote that song for the White Sox until I was in high school. Yeah, of course, you know. Another, I wrote to Nancy when I was a college student, made a suggestion about a cheer, and she wrote me back. I love her. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, a really warm person for a lot of White Sox fans. And I'm also hearing from a bunch of musicians, um, friends of mine via text, because it just crosses over, hits, uh, hits us in all the good spots. Elvis Andrus, White Sox second baseman. I started a thing this year on Parkinson Spiegel um, for the top 30, my 30 favorite ball players from my 30 baseball seasons here in Chicago, and it's become really fun. It's become really fun to think about and document these players from the last 30 years and remember just how good some of them were. Here is number 29 on my list, Ray Durham. White Sox second baseman Ray Durham. I loved watching that dude play. Seven and a half seasons from 1995 to the middle of 2002. Danny's one of the last homegrown White Sox draft picks from Larry Himes on a list that includes Jack McDowell, Robin Ventura, Alex Fernandez, and of course, Frank Thomas. And Ray Durham was really fast, pretty powerful, super smooth, aggressive at second base, and really, really fun to watch play. Stole more than 30 bases a bunch of times. Aesthetically pleasing. That short little squat body and what seemed like double the usual amount of steps. Hawk used to say, I love to watch Ray run. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was not alone. Um, defensively, really solid. Specifically, I always remember like a marvel at going back on pop-ups. He was the best I ever saw. Best I ever saw. <laughs> going back on pop-ups. But he, he was just really damn good. He got to the bigs in 95 Immediately the leadoff hitter. For six seasons, from 96 to 2001, Ray Durham played in at least 151 games, had an OPS of over 800, had double-digit stolen bases over 34 times in that span, and double-digit home runs all the time, all while being the leadoff guy. The lineup made sense. A true leadoff hitter often makes it so. And it's like, ah, yes, here we go, White Sox, 
You go, we go. Imagine six consistent years of leadoff hitter quality from a really good defensive second baseman. He had an incredible vibe to watch as a fan, a spark plug with a really good smile, set a tone every day because he played every day. And the batting stance was weird and fun. The bat held way up in the air, his butt stuck out really far. And while he was here, the team was pretty damn good. Always at least decent. They finished second place four years in a row. Then were the division champs in 2000. They go 96 and 67 in 2000 before getting swept in three games by the 91 min, win Mariners. By the way, Paul Konerko and Frank Thomas in that series both went 0 for 9. Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry about that. So Ray Durham, number 29. Uh, Wait, it's you that's responsible for that? <laughs> I know. Yes. Part of a White Sox era, Danny. So Reinsdorfian. They were never lower than a third-place team from 1990 to 2006. Never worse than third, and only third a couple times in there. He was never not good when he was here on pace for another great year in 2002. The White Sox got the benefit of his healthy 20s. They decided that, you know, once he's 30, he's, he's going to fall apart. So he's traded at the deadline for John Atkins. John Atkins, who sucked. Sucked. Somebody's reading Wikipedia. <laughs> I prepped. Yeah. I, I prepped right there. Good for you. When, you. when you let me know, I didn't remember that. But I did find this stat. Yes. This guy was kind of crazy. Yeah. Now, this is, a, this is a baseball stat where you put in a bunch of, like, minimum qualifiers and then do the search through baseball reference. Okay. But by posting at least 15 home runs with 100 runs scored, 20 steals, a 450 slugging percentage, and, and 65 runs uh, batted in mm. for three consecutive seasons... Just the tenth player in baseball history to do that. That's that's good company. Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Joe Morgan, Barry Bonds, and Alex Rodriguez. Wow, among the ten. Wow, with Ray Durham. Now again, yeah. no one would remember that stat of fifteen homers, a hundred runs, twenty steals, four fifty slugging, and sixty five RBI in three consecutive seasons. But that's you. that's the level of consistency that he had in that time with the White Sox. They drafted him. They drafted him and he homegrown and he was great all through his twenties here. There is uh there is talk of the curse of Ray Durham that is talked about a little bit in White Sox circles because second base kind of a black hole since then. Brent's Lillibridge and Lowry Anybody? Micah Johnson traded away Marcus Simeon, traded away Eduardo Escobar as uh, as young players. Um, but, you know, I don't know that the White Sox were wrong. Ray Durham in his 30s with the Giants, the hamstrings acted up. The speed went away. He dropped down to six in the lineup. Um, but still some pretty good years there for the Giants. So, obviously, I don't know how the White Sox fans feel here. I, I Actually, I do know how Tanny feels. Loves Ray Durham. But just to finish out, on the uh, Spigalian scale, the five-tool scale, offense, I gave him a seven. Defense, an eight. Vibes, an eight. I loved Ray Durham. Um, and teammateship, a solid seven. Memorable moments, only a five. There were not very many memorable moments. Although Tanny says this one. Was this the 14-inning Game against the Cubs, and he walks it off. That ball hit fair. Here comes Herman Perry. He's going to score, and the Sox win a 6-5. to five. Yes! Ray Durham gets that from the off-speed pitch, hooks it right by Willie Green. Well, the ninth-inning heroics by Sammy Sosa with that dramatic two-out, two-run home. By the boards as the Sox pick up their fifth straight victory. 
So there it is, Ray Durham, number 29, on my 30 favorite ball players the last 30 years in Chicago. 670, the score is where you are. Speaks with you on Hit and Run on Sunday mornings and thrilled to be here. So that is a White Sox player from uh, the countdown. I'll give you a Cubs one in the next segment from the countdown. Be listening to Parkinson Spiegel weekdays on the score, Monday through Friday at 445 every day. We count it down. Number 18 is up next tomorrow. And uh, all of those are archived together. I'll uh, tweet that link out here in a little bit where you can listen to any and all of them as we go through the countdown. But a really, really fun project. Um, If you haven't heard some terribly, terribly sad news today, uh, Dave Wills, the Tampa Bay Rays radio broadcaster, has passed away at age 58. Longtime White Sox pre- and post-and-game broadcaster for 11 years. Kid who, a uh, guy went to, grew up in Oak Lawn, went to Elmhurst College, and he worked with John Rooney and Ed Farmer um, for those 11 years and it, it had been having a great, great run in Tampa Bay. He and Andy Freed... Uh, had become a really good veteran, respected duo, super smart. Obviously, the Rays have been such an interesting and important franchise. And Dave Wills never lost uh, who he was and lost that personality. He hated the Cubs. And as a White Sox broadcaster, he hated the Cubs and would share it. And he would say it, too, when he was with the Rays. Um, A big Joe Madden fan, obviously, and commended the Cubs for for grabbing Joe Madden and doing what they did, but really a guy I loved to talk baseball with, and so many did, and the tributes are pouring in from Jeff Joniak, our friend, and Bears play-by-play guy says that he and Dave used to talk about play-by-play all the time, used to talk about the form, and just just, uh, all over the sports media world, people very, very sad about the loss of Dave Wills. Rest in peace to Dave Wills. One more segment to go. Here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. It's ice cream time! Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. The injury? Uh, no, just talking to him, how he's doing. Um, you know, he joked with me secretly he was kidding, but he <laughs> joked with me secretly he was like, he said he feels really good. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Was at home taking thousands of swings. They're not me. So um, he's jokingly, you know, he's starting to just get into his routine to work his way back and getting getting all the things done. Um, But other than that, I hadn't talked to him that much. David Ross joking about Seiya Suzuki taking a thousand swings at home. Don't swing the bat, Seiya. It's an oblique muscle, man. It's a brutal injury for a baseball player. Um, I'll be shocked if he's available for opening day. Just hope that he will be available for maybe the middle of April, something like that. By the way, when we talk Cubs spring training, it is sponsored by Sloan. Sloan, the official water efficiency partner of the Chicago Cubs. Tit and run here with you. Matt Spiegel with you up until noon. That'll be CBS Sports Radio. And after that, the Bulls and the Indiana Pacers, 2.15 p.m. pregame right here on The Score. I mentioned to you that I'm doing my top 30 favorite ball players of the last 30 years. And this Cub ended up very, very interesting and somewhat sad end. But a really great story for a long time. And let's remind people of the arc of one Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber, his legend preceded him. Everybody knows the story by now. I first heard it from Theo Epstein at a Hot Stove Cool Music event when I commented on Schwarber killing it at single A right after he'd been drafted in 2014. Theo, with a beverage in hand, leaned over and said, he's babe effing Ruth. Later, we found out that's how the legendary scout Stan Zielinski had pitched him to baseball ops before the Cubs took him at number four overall, one spot after the White Sox took Carlos Rodon. And Cub fans, you remember waiting breathlessly for so many prospects to arrive and contribute, and Babe Effenruth had mystique and results. He tore through the minors with an OPS over one as a double-A player, as MVP of the Futures game. It seemed like he didn't have a position, though. I really know where that, that he could play. It's not going to be a big league catcher. Hadn't really been moved off of it yet. Called up to the bigs in June of 2015 for six games of interleague play. It's the only reason they called him up. And he played DH. First start, he went four for five with two RBI. After interleague, he goes back to the minors. The legend only grew. Then he comes up in that July and the power flash. Do you remember the extra inning game in Cincinnati where he hit a two-run homer to tie it in the ninth and a solo shot to win it in the 13th? Babe F and Ruth memes were popping up everywhere at the time. And then that postseason, of course, he was magic. There was the homer and the three RBI and the wild card win against the Pirates. Then in the ALDS against the Cardinals, two more home runs including the one he'll forever be remembered for in the clinching game for at Wrigley, a ball that is going to stay where it landed for all eternity. And Schwarber sends one high and deep, way back, and this ball is long gone. Mercy. What in the world? (laughs) Over the scoreboard, on to Sheffield it goes. Schwarber with a booming home run. And the Cubs have a 6-4 lead. Whoa! What a statement. That ball was crushed. It wasn't just high. It was far. Look where this ball lands. And Pittsburgh it went into the river, didn't it? This one goes over the Budweiser sign, didn't it? It did. They hit one off that video board. Ha, ha. That was the night the Cubs passed the Cardinals, the divisional rival and the organizational model 
And Wrigley was, like, emotional. Theo's team had arrived. Didn't that night feel that way? Even as the Mets swept the Cubs in the NLCS, Schwarber hit two more homers, his five as a rookie being the most ever in an entire Cubs career for postseason home runs. Then the violent injury as a clumsy left fielder in the second game of 2016, a long recovery, and you'd see him around occasionally limping through the clubhouse. I'm never going to forget the buzz sweeping the press box during the NLCS that Schwarber was working out in Mesa and might be able to play in the World Series. Nobody bought it, really. But he came back after six months, started game one as a DH, and doubled in the fourth inning. This was Paul Bunyan, legendary stuff. A 500 on-base percentage in the World Series. The big sack fly to move Almora to second in game seven. Just outrageous. And then bumpy after that. Joe Madden's leadoff experiment and a failure. Demotion to the minors. Great September in 2017 when he came back up. Pretty darn good 2018. Finished second to Bryce Harper in the home run derby. 2019 is pretty damn good in retrospect. 871 OPS, 38 homers, 92 RBIs. He worked hard, was a good teammate, and that has only grown his legend in his post-Cubs life. But then in the uh, 59 games of the 2020 season, he hit under 200 OBP, just over 300 with 11 homers and another postseason fizzle. And when he was non-tendered, that paired with the Darvish trade kicked off a dismantle that the organization is, is just now maybe emerging from so overall in the Cubs career no all-star appearances no top 20 award finishes no other accolades to really count but innumerable memorable moments a legendary legacy the World Series crown and the good vibes were off the charts on the proprietary scale he gets a seven for offense a two for defense vibes were a 10 second 10 in the vibes category teammateship a 10 memorable moments a 10 That gets him to 39. That's how a guy with no all-star appearances as a Cub makes it to number 25 on the list. Kyle Schwarber, number 25 on my list of uh, my 30 favorite ballplayers of the last 30 years. Remember the failed leadoff experiment when uh, Joe Madden wanted to put him there because Kyle had the ability to eye bleep the pitcher. That's what Joe said. He's babe effing Ruth. (laughs) That's what I was told. It did not work, though, with him at leadoff. Nico Horner going to get a chance to be the leadoff hitter for this Cubs team. I what do saw, you think of that, man? I like it. I like it. I saw this stat, Sean, since 2016 when Dexter Fowler led off 118 times. The Cubs have not had the same player lead off more than 56 times in a season. 56 is the most for a leadoff hitter. Last year, the Cubs played 10 different people in the leadoff spot. The fourth time in six seasons since Fowler left, they have utilized 10 or more players in that position. There's actually a decent number of pretty darn good leadoff guys out there in MLB these days, and the Cubs uh, would be very well served to find one if Nico can settle in. It's like closer, closer and leadoff. You got to have the right makeup, the right mindset, the right mental strength. Because it's not just the same as everything else. It is not. Thank you so much to our guests today. Daniel Moscos, the assistant pitching coach for the Cubs. That was really fun at the top of the 10. And then the great Nancy Faust, longtime organist for the White Sox, at the top of the 11. Thank you so much to Sean Sears for doing a great job. Hit and run is back. I'll be here Sunday mornings. Thank you to uh, my associate producer, how do I pronounce his name, Sean? Uh, Ru- Ruben. 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 Got it. 
Thank you to my associate producer, Ruben Ford Spiegel. A fine job, sir. Thank you to Mitch Rosen for allowing uh, what he allows here on a Sunday morning. Thanks to you, the listeners, for welcoming me back and hanging out and doing whatever it is you are doing. What a pleasure. See you next week. And rest in peace to the great Dave Wills. Hey, have a good day, everybody. Hug your loved ones close. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.